Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world. Well, let's jump right in. So let's just start by having each of you introduce yourselves and the role you play on the Starship Tempest podcast. Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm the game master, and I guess the this this whole thing was my uh, idea. Um, fault, kind of your fault. <laughs> it's not all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, I write scenarios. I I do the the game uh, stuff, and I guess like showrunner. I don't yeah. like. Yeah, I don't know. I feel you. Weird you guess showrunner. you're exactly the showrunner. Yeah. No, but I feel weird <laughs> saying that. <laughs> but that's me. Yeah. Um. I can go next. I'm Tara Sheely. I am. Uh, I play Doctor Teal, and I play Lieutenant Eel, and I play. Um, is she a lieutenant? Is it Lieutenant Dow? I suppose. I believe so. I have a number of voices that I've started doing on the show uh, for NBCs, and I'm our social media person. Um, I'll I'll go next. I'm Ryan Sheely. I am the lead sound designer for Starship Tempest, as well as. Uh, I play the captain of the USS Tempest, Captain Rajay Maddox. You have a great captain voice. What? Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, I am Travis Outer. I play Lieutenant Commander now, I think, uh, Holden on Starship Tempest. Uh, I am Matt Muller. I play Commander Conrad Smythe, who is, I can't say, because I was spoiled by <laughs> oh, we don't want that. No spoilers. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you all get connected and start working on this podcast together? Well, we've all known each other uh, for almost 20 years. For me, everybody else, I think, is longer than 20 years now, which is crazy. Um, all Matt, the Matt and I are the oldest connection, and I think that's 22. Yeah, it's 2001. Actually, you and Travis might also yeah, yeah. be the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. we met before Riddle Players. So Right. Yeah. So uh, all the fellas met um, going to the same college in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is Embry-Riddle. And then um, I went to the college across the street, and we all went to a, an event and met that night. And I was like, hmm, I like these fellas. And I kept uh, our sound designer, Ryan Sheely, and we've been married for almost 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> and a glorious 13 years it has been. Yes. And the game idea was really, uh, Brian, it was, if you, if you want to tell how you <laughs> came uh, to all that. Yeah, well, so I was I was working um, in an office uh, with friends, and we, like, we would commute together, and it was a really long commute. And so at one point, she was like, hey, do you want, uh, there's this podcast I really like. It's these guys playing D&D called The Adventure Zone. Do you want to listen to it with me on the commute? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and it... The Adventure Zone is great. It's a great podcast. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and so at some point in that process, I was like, you know, it would be fun if we, if I did like, if we did like, a, my friends and I, we did like a Star Trek version of this because I love Star Trek and I could do the right Star Trek things and we could play Star Trek and it'd be fun. Uh, and so I just mentioned it or, I, you know, I just kind of brought it up to people and in turn and they were like, yeah. That's and so we just started kind of playing around and. Uh, and then as we all have kind of have a tendency to do, uh, things got out of hands. <laughs> <laughs> we started something not realizing what kind of a huge commitment it was going to be. <laughs> exactly how much work it would actually be. Well, and when we started playing, Brian was like, you know, and then like, we'll put it out there in the world, like a podcast and stuff. And Ryan and I had worked on a few other podcasts, uh, like Our First City and Unwell, and they were really big and popular. And we were like, us playing a Star Trek game is not going to be big and popular. That's like that's not a thing, and we're coming up on like sixty five thousand downloads right now, and that feels crazy. That feels like n- no way. That's stupid. But here we are. There you are. That's pretty impressive. Thanks. Um, and you're at a couple hundred episodes, right? Uh, closing in on like a hundred story episodes and then we have some kind of more casual just discussion stuff um but in terms of the story uh, i think we're like in the 90s right now that's fantastic two, two full seasons right now we're in, in our uh season break between seasons two and three so we just released our season two finale um a few weeks ago once we hit the 100 episodes we can be syndicated 
Oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, that's when the royalty point. checks yeah. really start yeah. rolling in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They wait for that call point. from UPN. <laughs> Desi Lou Studios has got the bank. <laughs> that's amazing. So, so what is it about the Star Trek universe that makes you want to create characters and tell stories in you know in that setting? I think we've How long you got? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all been so inspired by Star Trek in so many parts of our lives. And, like, you know, almost everyone here grew up watching it, but not me. I didn't watch it till I met Ryan. And he was like, please just watch Star Trek The Next Generation with me. Just just watch one episode. And if you don't love it, you know, you don't have to watch anymore. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I ended up <laughs> loving it. He showed me Data's Day. That was the first episode I ever saw. And I think... That's like just knowing that there are these characters out in the world that we have all seen and loved and identified with in different ways at different times in our lives. Like, I think that feeds directly into what we're doing and and informs our decisions. And I don't mean to speak for everybody else. But. Yeah, no, it fits. Um, the optimistic view of humanity in the future is, you know, the idealist in me loves that so much. So, and I don't, I'd also say that we, we, started this whole um friendship that we all have started w because we are all involved in a theater group at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and so part of our DNA as a friendship has always has been creating art of some sort and also interwoven into the DNA of our lives is how much we quote and reference movies and franchises specifically Star Wars and Star Trek I remember a very I remember a very specific story when I was hanging out with Brian with his then girlfriend at the time, and she was so sick of us making Star Trek <laughs> jokes, Star Trek references, that she said, I don't want you to make another Star Trek reference for the rest of the day. And Brian immediately goes, are you kidding? In, in Sulu's voice. <laughs> and so it's just, it's always been part of who we are, how our group is connected, and the fact that we always ha tend to be creating as a group, it just, it's just a natural extension of that relationship we already have. Yeah, so kind of like the the origin story of, of a lot of this is that like in, when we were in college, we were all in a theater group together. And so at some point, Ryan and I started like, we started making like li these little videos that and, and then kind of the, that then have kind of absorbed the rest of the, 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 the theater company that like we would make like little parody videos to like advertise to the plays or just kind of funny jokes that we like, hey, this... <laughs> This is a funny joke about Star Wars, and then we would turn that into like a little short film. Um, and so I think part of part of what the appeal behind doing this was because we had done a lot of like Star Wars stuff back in the day, just because there there was a particular like back in the day, fan films was a lot less of a thing because the corporations would like come down on you really hard if you did. Yeah. And the only exception to that was Star Wars because at the time George Lucas just still personally owned it and he just personally did not care. So he was like, yeah, just have fun. Don't make money. Go nuts. So like we would make funny little Star Wars films just out of jokes that we thought were funny. Um, but we had never really done that with Star Trek, although like Star Trek had been as much of a part of that, like uh, of our headspace as Star Wars has ever been. Uh, and so this was a kind of like an opportunity to sort of do a similar kind of thing maybe in a different format but like play in, play in the star trek world which we all love as much or more as star wars the way we had done with those fan films you know many 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 you know, long, <laughs> long time ago and a state far far away yeah so yeah so use the modifius star trek adventures role-playing system what is it that you like about that system so um I've said I've said this before, and I will gush for um, I will gush unendingly about the character creation system specifically, uh, because I've played a little bit of D and D, but not much, um, and I never game mastered before. Um, but what's really cool about the Star Trek Adventures character creation system is that the stats and the story stuff are really intertwined, right? So when you make a character in D and D, like you come up with your backstory, and then you also kind of jump dump points into whatever categories you want, right? But in Star Trek Adventures, you make story decisions about your character's background in terms of are they, you know, a ensign or are they, you know, a seasoned veteran or are they mid-career or whatever? Uh, what is their back like? What has happened in their career so far? Uh, and then those things, you know, bump up or, or, or nerf back 
the various points of your actual character in various ways, um, which I just think is is so so cool, uh, and it yeah. like really integrates the game and the story in a way that like really resonates with me. We also had no idea about that game. I don't think any of us had played it ever, right? Yeah. So I had played specifically in preparation for this. I had played as on like a you know virtual game with people over the internet just a tiny little bit but other than yeah. that, no and like in college in our college days we played games all the time we were always at usually ryan's in my apartment we would play risk we would play poker we would play just all kinds of stuff and so when brian brought up this opportunity for all of us to play games together even though we are not even in like only ryan and travis and i happen to be in the same state but Brian is on the uh, West Coast and Matt is on the East Coast. We're Central Time. So it was like, wait, we could just get together and play a game together with regularity? Like, that would be kind of neat. And then 2020 happened. And so it was a lifeline for us. It was like, oh, we can still talk to our friends. We can still spend time with our friends. Get a literal FaceTime. Yeah, yeah FaceTime. We were doing this, you know, a Zoom chat in order to play this game together. And it was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know when I will see them again in person, but at least we have this right now, you know? So it was, it was a really cool, uh, I don't know, gift in all of that too. That, yeah, that makes sense. And I think a lot of creative work came out of that 2020 period where everyone was kind of hiding and, 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 and building a podcast around your social time feels like a way to maybe increase the priority of it in your lives. This becomes a, not just hanging out, but you're doing a thing. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, because because so much of our interact like our relationships are built on the things that we have made together. Like that just felt like it made sense. Right. Um and like all of this originated like I first got the idea like towards the end of twenty eighteen and then you know started coming together. Um so it like predated the actual pandemic and quarantine and all of that, but the timing was very fortuitous in that, that, yeah. that like we were just kind of starting to gear up as this all hit and very like exactly as Tara says it was very much a lifeline I think for all of us so have you used any other role-playing systems or have you just uh used the same one all the way through for this podcast we've just used um uh the Star, Star Trek Adventures except um, for I, Travis Oh, that's true. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Travis, talk about so for the main story we use Star Trek Adventures but then Travis has done also um a neat little supplemental thing. So, yeah. So, so yeah, we stuck with Star Trek Adventures for all of the main quest. Uh, I, I had played. I hadn't played a whole lot of games um, before this podcast decided to to happen. Uh, uh, the one that I had, a friend of mine ran a game through Fate, the Fate system, and I just really liked how simple that that system was. It's very sort of leans more towards narrative, uh, like group storytelling, with a very simple dice system as opposed to a very uh, chunky like lots of dice throwing with lots of numbers and stuff um and so as we were playing i was like this is super fun and i would love to game master something but wasn't quite sure i wanted to dive into a full game and just randomly i can't remember when i had the idea but i thought you know it'd be funny if we just did this like random thing where we did the kobayashi maru and everybody had to take it themselves as opposed to you know, tr like it's been retold many times, multiple times with same characters in some cases. Um, but I was like, it'd be fun to put our group through that. And Fate is a fairly simple system and they have an even like simplified version of that simple system. And so I was like, I felt comfortable enough to take the reins and do a game and be a GM for a very simplified one shot Fate system game. So we had all of the crew did a set of those. Uh, they I came up with a handful of scenarios and then kind of like picked randomly before we did it. All of the crew did it. Um, and then in addition, we have a Patreon. And so we sent out an email to them. And so I think the first time we had like three three groups of patrons do the Kobayashi Maru as well. And so we recorded those and, and those are on there as, as episodes as well. Those, it was a couple scenarios. I think those ran like two to three hours each because we did several scenarios. Uh, we were actually in the midst of scheduling and setting up to do the next round of those, uh, which the crew is going to start recording in a week or two, I think. Uh, we'll do those. And then I'm sending out the email to have another Patreon group of Patreon supporters doing it as well. I think we have like five or six this time. So, yeah the, main, <laughs> yeah, the main stories in Star Trek Adventures, the, 
the reason I like sticking to the very simplified, I think it's like fate accelerated is the official term for it, um, is just because it's so much quicker. It's so much easier to pick up. The sheets to use are like very basic. It's like just press one button here and we can walk through it in 20 minutes as opposed to having to do a full character creation type of thing. Um, so it's just helpful to one, run a quick one shot with people who aren't maybe as practice at game as I don't want to say as we are as normal team players are uh, <laughs> but also don't have the opportunity to record multiple sessions before we actually do a mission in it which is what we did because we all had to learn how to do mostly everything in the system before we started <laughs> actually doing real missions and recording them and stuff so talk a little about the process that you use for putting together one of the podcasts uh, yeah, well, so, uh, Ryan, you want to take that? Like, bas basically, the way it starts is, uh, I'll come up with a scenario and, like, basically just build a scenario the same way anybody would build, uh, you know, a session around the table, right? And then we sit down, we play it, we record it, uh, and then we kind of start to, uh, work with it in posts, uh, a little bit more than most other, uh, you skip the part where we take three weeks to schedule it. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and we take five and a half hours to record it because yeah. yeah. everything you set up, we try to destroy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be nice, but <laughs> uh, but yeah. So like like uh, Brian said, um, he comes up with the scenarios. Scheduling is a beast for us because I have a very wacky schedule. I'm the only one at work right now, um, and uh, we in season one and two in particular, uh, we had another. Uh, uh, regular on our crew, uh, our friend TJ, who um, he also has a very wacky schedule. So trying to get everybody in the same place in different time zones for a four-hour block was just a beast. Um, and that was actually one of the reasons why um, TJ opted to uh, to step down. Uh, I hope there's a little bit of drama out there where people think we got into this big fight and they want to ask us what <laughs> happened. But we we are all he's he's still the best, and we're still all he's he's amazing. It's just we he, the scheduling didn't work out. So Tell once we finally he, he drove six and a half hours to Chicago <laughs> just to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. I was going to um, make an insurrection joke, but I'm not for the sake of his for, for his sake. <laughs> That's fair. I'm going to. So eventually we get uh, get ourselves aligned and have a schedule. So Brian put, uh, we record, like Matt said, five and a half hours is usually how long we record for. That usually boils down to approximately three hours of gameplay time. And that is done, uh, that is a large port, uh, portion of that filtering process is done by Travis. Thank God for Travis, because I was doing all of it at the very beginning. And the filtering down and the editing and the post work is just too much. And Travis does so much work now to filter those five and a half hours down to a reasonable chunk of time and largely what ends up on the cutting room floor and travis can speak to this as well is just the points the parts of the session that nobody cares about like us looking up rules us taking pee breaks us dealing with cat interruptions or kid interruptions that's that's actually a joke and built into our opening narration about us, you know, defending our keyboards from kids and cats. But a lot of that is actually cut out, if not most of it now. And then once Travis gets me, we call it the cleaned audio, where it's all lined up and it's it's a, a minimalistic point of uh, editing or maximized uh, editing. Sends it to me and I do further editings, further cut downs to try to streamline it to get it to a, a place where it flows really nicely and we drop in the sound effects and... I send it off to Brian. He gives notes, and then that's and then we then we release it. We try to real we try to have the episodes in the can a couple weeks before release. But usually, what ends up happening is um, we release on a Tuesday, and I'm I'm implementing notes at Monday night at 11, 11 p.m. So just like any other production. Okay, so you you have ninety episodes available. You've been doing this a while. Do you have a certain number of episodes in mind, or are you just gonna keep playing until you're tired of it, or do you have like a plan? I think uh, it's six seasons in a movie, right, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I remember remember when I joked about like us getting ourselves into things that we are not really appreciating the, the scope of. Uh, is is absolutely what's what I have done to all of us and subjected all of us here to because I do I do have a like you know larger story kind of you know overarching campaign in the you know classical sense. Um, that we're sort of building to and that there's the fine end that we'll get to and et cetera, and everything is building up towards that. 
Uh, so the idea is that it's like, that's like six or seven seasons total. Cause it was, it's kind of like, like we're, we're all building this off of like, or at least, you know, my, what we grew up on was original series. Yes. But also, you know, TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. And so that kind of era of Star Trek is all like, you know, seven seasons. Um, so it was kind of sort of, sort of that without realizing what that really entails, uh, at the <laughs> beginning. Um, and yeah, we'll all build to it like a definitive conclusion that I kind of have, you know, sketched out in my head. And obviously how things, you know, unfold on the way there will influence things to We're going to ruin deal. it. Yeah. But <laughs> there's a defined like, you know, climactic showdown something or other um, that I have in my head at the end. Yeah. Hmm. Meanwhile, I'm like, but we're we're just getting our sea legs, you know, our space legs, I guess. We're like we're growing, and we're uh, the community we've we've created now is is just getting bigger, and is so cool that I'm like, but 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 we just started recording season four, season six, and seven. That's not far away. You know, so we're more we're more than halfway through <laughs> theoretically our recording, but our production pipeline is so long that we're not going to finish editing it until 2092. Oh, so, but I mean, that's the thing is like, well, yeah, we're the sun will run out of fuel before we finish releasing these damn Well, as they say, art is never finished; it's just abandoned. Yeah, it's just abandoned. Walk away. But I mean, we're we just started recording in season four, so yeah. we're we're about at the halfway point. We are not past halfway at this point. And I mean, we only had seven seasons in mind, so that's more than halfway. Yeah. I mean, six times two is, or three times two is six. Yeah. Be- we've yeah, we're at the beginning of season four. We started season four. We finished season four. Yeah. So the mi- the midway point of, God, this is fascinating listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the midway points of the season we are recording right now. So actually on Saturday, we're going to record the third mission of season four. Two missions after that will be officially the halfway point of the campaign if it ends up as seven seasons. Wouldn't that be nine? Wouldn't four and a half be half of nine? All right. Let's, let's do math later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you, so what I'm hearing is you do have an end point planned out and the plans are not necessarily going to be exactly followed. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm hearing. Basically yeah, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> the, the way I've described it elsewhere is that sort of like um, I I have a you know I have a villain in the background who's like the gears are turning right and so I I know what the villain in the background is doing and what the plan is and what their ultimate goal is and all of that and then obviously how the how the players get there what shape they're in when when the villain goes ah my plan. Right, well, like, and then Federation is so screwed. Yeah, I can't, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fate of the galaxy does really rest on the. Um, yeah, it's going to be on our team dynamics. On our team dynamics. <laughs> on a Bajoran refugee with a Cockney accent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the way I describe it. Is that like, I I have a villain in the background who's with gears turning, and then obviously. How that climax plays out depends entirely upon what's, you know, the characters' choices they make and where the story goes, et cetera. So you set the podcast in 2039, which is about a quarter of a century before Star Trek Next Gen shows up canonically. So what was it about that time period? So that that was basically uh, me. I think I think Ryan and I, I think we talked about it a little bit, didn't we? A little bit, yeah. Um, uh, but so I was um th- th- so we we grew up on the original series and the original series movies and TNG era and all of that right um but the the period spanning the the end of the the original series movies and the beginning of TNG in Star Trek fandom is what's known as the the lost era because there's just so very little there's like there's no TV show set in that era all all we really know is kind of oblique references that are made here and there um in kind of the next generation era. Um, so there's something really fascinating to me about like kind of having this sandbox that had these kind of defined parameters and you have little bits of pieces here and there. Like, okay, we know Picard is over here doing this. So we know, you know, so, so-and-so is over here doing that. And so like we have these little, like little dots, but then there's a lot of room to connect them in different ways in between, uh, which I was really interested in, in that 
doing it. It was also because the Starfleet that we see at the end of Undiscovered Country and the one we see at the beginning of TNG are so very different in character from each other, right? So the Nicholas Meyer Undiscovered Country is very Horatio Hornblower, Space Navy, and uh, you know TNG Season 1 is very Age of Aquarius, let's explore the galaxy in our pajamas kind of a thing, right? <laughs> so there's something in that transition between the two that I thought it'd be really interesting to explore. Like What happened? Yeah, like how the the character of Starfleet itself is very, very different um, from that. And so I thought it'd be interesting to be somewhere in the middle of that so you can sort of get both flavors and then also explore how one flavor turns into into the other. So for the rest of the crew, what kind of uh, research have you done or just watching Star Trek? Or how do you keep your characters sort of aligned with the the canon and you know the Star Trek universe. I it's pretty easy for me just because I am such you know I've been a Trekkie my for as long as I can remember. It's been there were three things I loved in the universe uh, in uh, of movies and it was Indiana Jones, Star Wars, and Star Trek. And there was just so much more Star Trek than anything else. That is what I. That's what I went to sleep listening to and watching. And so I have always been up anytime there's new Trek. For me, it's like, it's like wife, kids, Star Trek when, when it comes to, you know, something new is airing, you know? Um, so it's very easy for me to stay on top of things just because I would feel so left out if I wasn't already. Like we've, Sarah and I have had discussions before about how like, I have to watch it now. No, just stay <laughs> off the internet. No, it's not that. It's that I'm not, I am not in the know and that I have a problem with that. So it's, it's definitely something that for me personally, I do not have any, um, I have no problem staying educated on Star Trek and, you know, I, I dive into the lore a little bit less than I think maybe some, some Trekkies and Trekkers do, um, like the expanded stuff I, I have, I'll, I've been, I've listened to or watched uh, or read uh, some of the expanded uh, novels and, and things like that. And I'm on you know, memory alpha, whenever I think of something fun and I'm just, I just surf that instead of Wikipedia. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it's super easy and, um, uh, I'll let somebody else go, but it, if I have to dump off, just uh, if I'm suddenly not here, that's why. And we'll talk about him some more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, the yeah, next we're mm-hmm. talking bad about yeah, I can go. I, I'm <laughs> hoping Ryan leaves while I'm talking. <laughs> Thanks for hopping on for a while though. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having us. Um, so no, I'm kind of in the same boat as Ryan. I mean, I've watched Star Trek as long as I can remember, you know, my dad used to throw on old episodes of the original series when I was super little. And I watched Next Generation as it came out, uh, you know, every night at seven o'clock once, you know, it was since syndication every night at seven o'clock on channel 12, I'd watch Star Trek and then once a week could get the new episodes and we hear the guy with the awesome was like, Nick Steinwood Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> and everything in the world they listened to here because they knew there's Star Trek coming up. Um, so no, I've seen every series multiple times. I love Star Trek, so knowing as much as I can about it, you know, it, it's it's nice. And I and I can, you know, obviously my character doesn't know what I know, so that's the hardest thing yeah. I think to keep straight. Like, hey, I know all this stuff, and in and, and even like there, we recorded an episode um, a week or two ago, and Brian brought up something. Oh, I know exactly what that is. Oh, no, no, I don't. Smite has no idea what that <laughs> is. Smite doesn't know it. Matt knows what it is. <laughs> yeah, right. Matt knows exactly what it is. Smite does not. So it's one of those meta things. Yet it's the hardest thing for me to keep straight sometimes. It's what I know versus what what the character knows. Um, yeah. But I kind of set my character up so that he doesn't care about Starfleet too much, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> all that kind of fun stuff. So... <laughs> You know, I can I can kind of make make the character do whatever I want, and it works among works with the character. Totally, yeah, yeah, it's me. So I, same thing. Um, very into Star Trek. Just grew up on it, and just love everything about it, and all of the different permutations of it. Um, in terms of, I'll jump into a different angle and talk about in terms of just maintaining character and stuff. Uh, it was mentioned that most of us were all all met in a theater group back in college. Tara was a part of hers, which was part of how those two groups mingled um so there's just a lot of like theater's always been around uh all of us have done improv as well so just in terms of keeping a character we kind of picked who we were in the characters and so maintaining that with just 
the sort of through the filter of Star Trek, I think has been a way that we could maintain characters, as Matt was saying, keeping track of what we should or should not know in any given situation um, is probably the trickiest part for all of us, just because how much Star Trek we have sort of absorbed over the years. Um, but yeah, I think just in terms of maintaining the character, I think all of us just lean on sort of the, the theater and improv of we picked who our characters are. We're pretty good at building characters and then just making sure we stay true to those characters while we're playing um, yeah. is the way to sort of stay focused. Um, yeah. yeah. And, that, and it, it was all the track. It's not even just what you know and what you don't know. It's where you are in the timeline too, right? So. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, when, for me personally, like I, I know a lot of Star Trek. I didn't grow up watching it and all that. So for, I don't know, a year of recording, I would get really nervous before we recorded. And Ryan was like, what is wrong with you? We're just playing with our friends. And I'm like, what if I don't have the jargon? I'm the doctor. Like, I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about. I'm supposed to be able to diagnose and then, you know, give them a hypospray and do whatever thing. And like, what if I mess it all up? And he's like, you know, we can, A, we can, we, uh, this is edited. So we can look something up on the spot and go back and you can say what you wanted to say because now you have, you know, the word that you needed or whatever. But otherwise, like, it just just play with it just improv it and so i still struggle a little when i'm when i'm dr teal when i'm playing as the doctor but with some of my other characters that are based in a, a voice a, a dialect an accent or whatever that's theatrical and i i don't really remember what i'm saying at that point i just like that character takes over so that those i got i i relaxed finally when i had those characters to to lean on and I'm sorry if you can hear my dog. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so even even loving Star Trek as much as I do, I've I had a lot of nerves over uh, not knowing all the all the words, all the jargon, all the vernacular. Which is funny because Brian repeatedly was like, I brought Tara in specifically because she wasn't as giant a Star Trek nerd as the rest of us. <laughs> because I want someone who will just be characters as opposed to pretending they're in the Star Trek TV shows. And that's and that's why most of Tara's characters are probably more interesting than the rest of us, but also, <laughs> but, but also are like much more grounded in terms of their where they're coming from. Like Teal is like the moral core of our certainly not compared certainly compared to Holden, but even well, the rest of the characters like is the moral <laughs> core of the crew. And that's that's part of why is because she isn't quite as I think just speaking for you, kind of beholden to the Star Trekiness of it. Yeah, um, no, that's fair to say. And it's easier to sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was going to say that you had mentioned canon, and so I wanted to kind of address that. It hadn't come up yet, but we, early on, Brian told us not to feel beholden to canon. We don't have to try and make whatever happened in TNG that we remember happen again. Um, so I don't think it ever really came up until the early part of season two, where we ran into what, what we'll call a legacy character of someone that we at least like would recognize. It was either end of season one or beginning of season two, somewhere in there. It was the first sort of interaction we had with someone that it was like, oh, if we screw up and that person's ship gets destroyed, they're not alive in TNG. Um, but Brian repeatedly, even before we got to that point, was very much like a, you know what happens, but don't feel like you have to try and make that thing happen. Allow yourself to do that. We've changed a couple things in canon, but also one of the pluses of the era being so empty with information is we have a lot of leeway to play with stuff as we want. Um and not really worry about impacting it. I think the overarching storyline that Brian is telling is going to make for a big difference in Star Trek canon. But at this point, we've also done quite a, like a couple of years worth of uh, missions together. So I think the idea of us sort of starting to slowly forge our own path within the Star Trek canon makes sense as well, as opposed to just the closer we get to TNG, the more exact like TNG everything has to be, um, which might not be as interesting as letting us sort of you know, riff on however we want to do it. Plus, we haven't, like, when we've run across a character that people might know and recognize, we haven't done anything drastic that would change their trajectory. You know, we haven't killed them. We haven't, you know, had a child with them. Nothing crazy. And so, like, whatever happens between us and that character's, you know, eventual path can still all happen however it does. So we... We don't mess with canon in the way that's like, oh, wouldn't it be weird if, you know, whatever, we did this 
huge thing that will change everything. Like we all we all love it too much to do that. So yeah, I season three. (laughs) (laughs) I not necessarily character related, but so the yeah one of the one of the things that a like makes this easier than a kind of traditional like prequel show, quote unquote, like say Discovery is that we're not bound in by the the walls of established canon right because at least at least my my kind of thinking going into it is that like okay the, the way the story the way a storytelling works in a role playing game is that the the players and the player characters have real agency so that the decisions the decisions that they make have to have you know the real chance of affecting the an outcome going left or right right so the fact that we're a prequel to TNG is is one aspect of it, but the the counterweight to that is that it's a role playing game in the sense that the choices that the characters make really do can send, you know, history in this direction or that direction, both at the character level and the galaxy level of like, oh well, this thing happened twenty years earlier, or this was actually a crucial historical hinge you know, that changed everything. But even though we never saw it in, you know, canon, quote unquote, Star Trek, it was still a hinge that exists. And because, you know, Ryan and slash Maddox or Terra slash Teal or whoever made this decision, it went left instead of right. Right. Yeah. So we have a lot of, we have several moments like that already within the campaign. And yeah, then that's true. over time, those will kind of like, well, they already have started to, and they will continue to like compound on each other and, and you know, kind of a, you know, chaos theory, ripple effects, sort of a thing. Um, I go, so I, sorry. Well, so I, I mean, I just, I just think that's like a really crucial difference in the sense that like our, our show is not like a straight A B path to encounter at Farpoint, right? Because it's it's yeah. the the decisions that Tara and Ryan and Matt and and Travis make change that path, and they really you know genuinely, sincerely do, and then that path will end up leading to a different place than the TNG Star Trek that we already are familiar with. Yeah, I, w- I would also add, I thinking back to the times that we have interacted with existing characters or canon in some way or shape or form, I can actually think of two instances where we as characters ended up essentially coming to the same result as what would have happened in TNG, but through a different way. Um, I don't want to go into too many details because again, I can't right. remember exactly where they were, but like we saved a planet that was referenced in TNG that was never saved, but the results of what had happened before may have still led to the same exact things in a different way, right. in an interesting way. So it's like, it's I found it fun to think, oh, well, we did this thing that was totally opposite or totally different in a way of what had been referenced back. So we did change canon, but still it works in a way that is really interesting and like a, a twist on what had happened as opposed to completely changing the canon. Um, those are the ones that I personally find really fun and interesting. So, so speaking of sort of canon and the the whole universe of Star Trek, you started this series before Lower Decks or Prodigy or Strange New Worlds had come out. Uh, maybe before some of them were even announced. So, what impact has all of this new Trek had on what you're doing and? how your characters go, if any? So that's actually a very easy question to answer. Uh, the answer is none. Uh, because I made, and this is this is not a judgment call one way or the other on any of the new Trek. I think, so this, you know, was, we first started kind of talking about this at the end of 2018. So that would have been around the second season of Discovery, I think. Um, but at that, right from the beginning, I was like, I, there's, there's no way I, because I, I knew I wanted to like have some idea of where the story was going, but I also knew I couldn't set something up and foreshadow something if something needed to be foreshadowed in, in terms of lore or history or how two pieces might of lore might connect to each other or anything like that, and then have an episode of Discovery or Picard or whatever come along and add some piece that threw a wrench into that, right? So like I did not want to deal with that at all. So uh, from the outside just for my own personal sanity, I said, any Star Trek that is in production, at the be- the moment our campaign begins, there is a bright red line, bright circle separating it. So again, that's not to cast a value judgment, positive or negative on any of the Star Trek that is currently being produced. It's just a matter of like, 
I do have something specific in my head and I can't like constantly be trying to, you know, tweak and adjust that based on the episode of Picard that aired just last week. Right. Yeah. So maybe when we uh, start doing Tempest, the next generation, they'll yeah. let Brian sit in on all the Paramount writing session yeah. and he can just keep track that way. But. If they would just call me ahead of time and like, <laughs> talk it over, like a lot of that could be avoided. But I will say we would be watching. So we would have recorded, the, you know, we, we we're now recording season four, but we're about to you know, launch season three out for, for listeners, right? So we're, we've been ahead of our release schedule for a long time. And we would be watching some episode of New Trek and they would come across a scenario just like one we had recorded but hadn't released yet. And Ryan would turn to me and was like, Ryan's going to be so mad. <laughs> like, no, we dealt with something like that, but we didn't steal it. But it's going to look like it because, you know, we've already recorded it and then they released it. So I feel like so we've made enough jokes about how long it takes us to get an episode down. I think at this point our <laughs> listeners are like, no, we get it. Yeah, I, I hope they're like, oh, weird. They recorded this well before that episode came out. But but and, and there are definitely like mission stories and, and ideas specifically that I'm and it's it's the the worst the most interminable is between when we record it and when it releases yeah. of like watching a new episode of Picard or Lower Decks or whatever and going like God don't don't get there before we get there don't get there before we yeah. get there because yeah. uh, like it doesn't like it doesn't matter if you know that because that's real Star Trek and we're just a bunch of people in our living rooms like but yeah. <laughs> right so like even if we did record it before. You know, even if we release before what, you know, if Lower Decks or Picard or whatever, like, does it, you're like, well, okay, that, you know. Ugh, well, it, it makes an interesting point, though, about the sort of um, creative ether that everything is swimming in. And if you're coming to some of the same conclusions that the writers are obviously completely independently, yeah. right? That is, is that some of the same thing that, you know, lands us two tornado movies in the same summer kind of way. <laughs> yeah. so, right. And they're done independently. And that's just sometimes how it works on this planet. Yeah. That's funny. And then no one ever remembers which is the prestige and which is, um, is it the illusionist? The other movie. Yes. Yeah, the prestige <laughs> my illusionist. Volcano yeah. and Dante's Peak. Yep. And uh, deep yeah. back to Armageddon. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have a humor podcast. I'm listening to you. You can definitely get the sense that, you know, we're old friends and you crack a lot of jokes. Um, and and to speaking exactly on this topic, you know, the funniest of the Star Trek series is Lower Decks. And that came out, you know, in 2020. Yeah. So it's kind of the same time you guys started. Well, a little after you. So here's another place where you did it first. <laughs> but what do you suppose it is that made Star Trek and y'all uh angle towards humor at that time oh we can't help ourselves mostly <laughs> yeah brian but... i think brian would have loved for us to be very serious about it and there was just no way especially with our friend tj involved he's always he's generally the funniest guy in the room so we just he would crack a joke and then i would jump on that train and then we'd all be laughing our heads off and it all just it, it, it was never going to be anything other than than us making jokes and Brian being exasperated <laughs> by those jokes. My, you know, my my favorite thing is that all these scenarios Brian comes with up with are very serious. Like yeah, yeah, they're very good, good like, Star Trek scenarios, good dramatic Star Trek episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes it stupid. And ridiculous. We can't help it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah, I and I mean, like when I had this idea and when I started talking to every, you know, and like I knew. Basically, the way I always looked at it going in was, for me personally, I want to try to make the best episode of Star Trek I can possibly make, like the legitimately best episode of Star Trek that I can make. But I also know who these people are, <laughs> <laughs> and and who I am. I'm like I'm not, you know, not carving myself out of the, out of uh, the, Lawrence uh, Olivier uh, over there. Exactly. <laughs> as much as I would like to pretend that I'm, you know, Stoppard or or Brana or whatever, uh. But like that, that was part, like I knew going in, that would be the dynamic, right? Of like, I'm going to try to bring my best Star Trek A game to it. And then there's going to be this like tension. There's going to be this push pull between like a real Star Trek episode and an MST3K <laughs> version of, of, right. of a Star Trek episode. And I think that's 
like I think that what is what makes the show great is is that kind of like push and pull aspects uh, and going back and forth between those two wavelengths. Our very first un unreleased episode. I don't even know if we recorded it. We were just learning how to play the game, and there <laughs> there was this poisonous frog in the on the planet. <laughs> And so TJ and I started talking about whether we could make sandwiches with the poisonous frog and then lure the evil aliens to eat the poison frog sandwiches. And Brian's like, this is never going to work. Like, <laughs> it's all over. Like, ooh, when are we going to play the poison frog sandwich game again? <laughs> Ridiculous. I also think it, like there's a level of, I don't want, like, age is probably not the, the right terminology, but the, it feels like there's been a shift. Like you mentioned, Lower Decks was coming out. I think all of the new Trek has probably more humor in it than previous Treks did. Yeah. Um, culturally, we have a lot of meta when it comes to, to stuff. Like you get superhero movies that are now culturally aware and self-referential. So I think yeah. like in terms of the cultural media landscape has shifted in some ways, um, which makes sense because we're all of the age now that people our age and our generation are now high enough in levers of power through time and are the ones creating the art and are now established in the art. So it, I don't necessarily think that us bringing humor to Star Trek was wholly unique or came about independent of the fact that humor started coming to Trek in a lot of ways in other areas as well, just sort of naturally, I think, as culture does. Yeah. And I think as Star Trek took itself pretty serious for 50 years. You know, I mean, th yeah. there were lighter episodes here and there, but it was always very much of a, it was very much a sci-fi drama. And as a result, you get some of that melodramatic stuff in there that is just yeah. ripe for making fun of. Totally. <laughs> and, Real. and no matter how much you love Star Trek, there's episodes that are, that you just make fun of because it's ridiculous. The Naked Down. Like The Naked <laughs> Down. It's such a stupid episode. <laughs> and, and so you can just rip on it. And, and I, I think I think Lower Decks is a is a reaction to that because I mean, for something for half a century to be so serious and now, you know, you have to have something um, to yeah. to to poke fun at it. It has such a legacy and it's in it's it's in pop culture everywhere. Yeah, you know, even like you see stuff that people have invented because of Star Trek. You know, cell phones are pretty much because of Star Trek and and all these things and and it's just it's so pervasive in in our everyday lives that, that yet yeah, you just have to make fun of it after a certain <laughs> you point to, time, you know, yeah. because it's kind of ridiculous. It's going to take it down a peg is what we got to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> teach, it, teach it its place. <laughs> yeah. So for each of you, who is your favorite Star Trek character and how does that character influence what you do in this game? I mean, I'm a, I'm a Spock OG fan. So, yeah. You know, it's, there, there's a very like th that character in Galaxy Quest that's that you know to Doctor Lazarus to Alan Rickman's character is like, although I am not, I have lived my life, but like, yeah, you know, that's that's me and Spock. Let's <laughs> you know, um, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's so true. Um, yeah, I love so many characters, but my one of the first ones that I loved from the very beginning was Beverly Crusher, and I still love her. I loved her on Picard just recently. But she, as a doctor, as a strong woman on the, on the Enterprise, she solved problems and she was unafraid to speak her opinion. And she was an awesome doctor on top of everything. And it didn't hurt that she was the dancing doctor. I sort of loved all of that. So, <laughs> um, but she, I, I love Gates McFadden and what she did with it. And I was so upset about Pulaski replacing her <laughs> like devastated I was like I don't know if I want to watch the show anymore and Ryan's like no no power through it's gonna be okay <laughs> and when she came back I was like oh good I was so sad she was gone um but she informs a lot of my decisions as Dr. Teal because she you know I I think she's a lot like her she's a problem solver she's you know everything that I would have wanted to be in a ship's doctor just like Beverly Crush um I will go. Um, so my guy has always been Riker. He has been my favorite <laughs> Star Trek character. Um, uh, just the way he carries himself and he's loud, he talks, he doesn't care. And he just, not that he does whatever he wants to do, but it's, uh, you know, he's so sure of himself in pretty much every, almost every scenario he's put in. 
Uh, obviously, it's the first time she has to make all these decisions, especially on weight team missions. It's always a snap decision. I mean, you know, even, you know, when it comes to the relationship with him and Picard in in the next generation, he's never, he always, if if Picard is doing something he does not agree with, he immediately, you know, just, burp, you know, uh, doesn't yeah. call him out on it, but, but does it the most professional way you possibly can tell someone, hey, that's stupid, don't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, that applies absolutely zero to my character. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. my character is an old ex-scientist <laughs> that found himself on the Tempest. So he's my character is basically... Um, you know that one old ensign that's always in the uh, in the background of the, of the, of the shots that they pass in the hallway? He's that guy. And slash, like, um, sort of Picard when he doesn't get stabbed by the Nazi. Yeah, right. Um, yes. Yeah, sort of how Smythe started out at. <laughs> so, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, so for mine, uh, it's, it's genuinely difficult for me. It's such... All of the shows are so ensemble based that I found that I don't feel like I get super connected to any one in particular. Um, it's how they play off of each other that I find really engaging for myself. Um, I would lean Data just because Data's great, but I'm going to throw a, a monkey wrench and throw a curveball. I think if I had to pick one right now on this day, I might lean towards Rutherford on Lower Decks, who ah. is wonderfully optimistic, really capable is very go with the flow. He's like, let's do that thing. Why not? Yeah. Let's try the thing. Like just as a, like the epitome of Starfleet and Star Trek as a thing, he's just this guy who loves engineering stuff. And I'm an engineer in real life and I play an engineer on the show. Clearly it's a thing that I gravitate to. Yeah. And he just is so involved in everything he's doing, but he's 100% of whatever thing he happens to be doing. Um, and I just love that about him. He's just super fun. That's a good choice. So what other projects are each of you involved in and where can people find you online? Oh boy. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is, this is the main thing I think for all of us. Um, um, I, so I, I, it just happened in real life. Um, so it's kind of, you know, done for the year, but I, I volunteer one of the organizers for a thing called Eurys Night, which is essentially a, a a global space party held once a year just to celebrate. It's held on or as close to as possible the anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's first flight, first you know person to fly in space. Uh, it's just kind of a you know supposed to be like an, a celebration of space and you know humanity going into space and bringing both the real worlds you know engineers of nasa and spacex and all of that along with the kind of sci-fi world of star trek and star wars and the expanse and um uh god who do we have this year that was uh the orville we um yuri's and i gave an award to the orville oh, cast crew this year um so i'm involved in that and you can find that um it just happened a few, a few weeks ago. So. I was going to say, I think I've seen a lot of Star Trek people uh, with pictures at the event, and yeah, yeah, we we had a we had a ton of Star Trek people this year, which was super awesome. Um, however, the one aspect of that that is still going on is we're doing an auction, online auction, of a whole bunch of cool stuff, including some uh, props and memorabilia from Star Trek uh, that some of the oh. cast and crew have donated. Um, that you can go online and bid on, uh, and all of the proceeds from that go to this fund to send kids and their families uh, to to space camp. Um, so Aww, that's and, fantastic. That's and so the cute. scale model battle cruiser that I made, Klingon battle cruiser I made, is in that auction. So if anybody is huh. on the market for one of those, yeah. you can you can get one at a good deal and you know. I am gonna buy it and just smash. How <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna go off of space? The, the money is gonna help people get to space camp either way. So yeah, that's yeah. true. Damn, get the money. B, the money goes to a good cause anyway. And C, I'm going to make another battle cruiser anyway. So. Uh, but Doug Drexler, who is one of the production people on from classic Star Trek, uh, uh, did compliment when he was one of our guests this year, and he complimented me on my model. Thank you very much. So oh, well, there on like an official uh, Doug Drexler approved Klingon battle cruiser scale model, go to and the Yuri's Night Auction and have one. And that's kind of what he did for, for Star Trek was design things. So that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. High praise. That's awesome. 
not gonna you're not gonna mention i'm gonna mention it uh, uh our our game has been uh turned into a novel uh, oh yeah i did do that yeah <laughs> uh, so similar to the way that i believe it was the expanse right that did that thing we're doing it think so yeah yeah so we're doing the game and then brian is going back taking the previous season uh the first novel was just season one and sort of just putting it in novel form there are adjustments and changes so it's not exactly the same um but yeah so actually it was one the the main change is actually that it's not star trek specifically it's actually an entirely new kind of all original world building that i did and you know, it obviously is based off of Star Trek because it's coming from the podcast. But ali- the aliens and the history and tech and all of that is not Star Trek. It's it's its own thing. And that is on Amazon, and it is Starship Tempest. Yes, it is. Um, I am our social media person, and we have um, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the things. But one of the things that our I want I want to tell this story because it just like chokes me up a little bit one of the things that our um patreon donors get at all levels is to join our discord channel and on our discord channel we call it lower decks is the one where we share with the all of our patrons and we chat about star trek stuff and the new releases of episodes and all kinds of things all our patrons get the episode 24 hours early which is cool and so we were chatting on there and we have a separate place where just the crew members talk about you know scheduling nights like tonight right and you know upcoming events like we're going to dragon con we're going to do panels there again this year and so we talk about that kind of stuff so what i what i meant to ask was to just the crew (laughs) whether it would be okay if i sent someone who really loves our show one of our patches even though it was not in their budget to become a patron right now um, and I accidentally put that in lower decks. So all of the patrons saw me ask if it would be okay if I sent a just a fan of the show one of our patches. And the patrons in our group, like this makes me cry. They they all of course said yes, of course. And then two of them said, Can we sponsor that person to become a patron of the show because they love the show so much? With like can how do we pay so that they can be a patron and all that stuff. So they, I contacted the person and told them they had these patron angels that wanted to make sure they were part of our Patreon. And like, it was just such a sweet thing. And like, it makes me feel like it's, it's not just us playing a game at home, right? Like we're creating this community and we're supporting artists and artists are supporting us. And that's how we do some of our advertising is, artists I found and shared on Instagram we work with them and so then to have this community want to support a a total stranger an absolute stranger that just also happens to love our show like I so that's that's awesome isn't it like it was so cool and it just like it blew my mind and so like you know the the question was where can we find you online I'm I'm just that like I'm just Starship Tempest on all of our social media stuff and like creating this community that goes with our silly show and it's <laughs> it's like grown its own wings it's just yeah so that's yeah. my answer for that um I am nowhere else online <laughs> <laughs> but that's not true Matt you are on Twitter and you follow me However, I did look at oh, your yeah. account. I don't think you have literally ever tweeted once. No, no, I have never tweeted <laughs> a single thing in my entire life. <laughs> I follow people and sometimes I like uh, Tempest stuff. Yeah, that's true. That, that's about all I do. <laughs> um, but in real life, I do do some community theater in central Massachusetts. So if you live in there and you want to go to see a show, man, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, if not, um, I highly recommend check out a local community theater. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. often. Very cool things. So and it's usually very cheap, if not right. free. So <laughs> and he gets you out and see cool shows that you've never seen before. True, community building. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. similarly, Tempest eats up all my time. The <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, like I said, we're gonna be working on the Tempest uh, until the sun runs out of fuel. So <laughs> until April sixteenth, twenty sixty three. Yeah, sixty today. We joke, but we're. 
we're we're slowly whittling down that post production time. We are starting <laughs> to turn those around faster than we had been. So, I I still believe in us. <laughs> oh, again, again, I'm the optimist of the group. Clearly, yeah, so, it's rough. Which tells you <laughs> tells you exactly how big of a hole we're in. <laughs> <laughs> well. I want to thank you for talking to me and uh, sharing a little bit about your show with our with our show. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you so thank much. You thank you very so much. much for having us. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase.